Jesus, we love you. If we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Thank you. You're, you're too gracious. <laughs> I uh, appreciate it. I got my lanyard on in memory of uh, Alan Shelby. He's uh, on his way to uh, Bogota to preach. He likes lanyards, if you didn't know that. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and remove this just because, well, I can't. Okay, I'm not. All right, so uh, <laughs> I actually didn't remember I had this on, and uh, now I'm like, what is, why did I do that? All right. That has nothing to do with, yeah, I could tuck it in. It's kind of like my St. Peter or St. Christopher tag. Uh, so you'll get that later. Okay, so I don't really have one of those. I probably said the wrong saint because I was never Roman Catholic. But anyway, I'm getting off to a bad start. Um, <laughs> welcome this morning. It's great to have you guys. I'm not going to take a whole lot of time uh, with superfluous information, though I've already done that because we have to really get some things done this morning. So appreciate the prayer that uh, we just had, and, and Jeff is absolutely right. We need to hear from the Lord this morning. This is so important uh, in the context of, of grasping uh, hold of what's coming. If you were here yesterday, we talked about, of course, how we will be removed um, from the earth, and so this time of wrath is set apart for the nation of Israel. We're going to see that clearly again this morning, and uh, we'll have some, some more information on that. So then why would we even need to concern ourselves with this time? Uh, well, one of the reasons that God has given the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ to the churches, we are stewarding this information, and is he wants us to know it. Why would he want us to know it? Well, sort of like the same reason, if you knew there was some man on the 30-some floor of a hotel room getting ready to blast people with uh, uh, gunfire, and you knew that, wouldn't you want to warn them? Wouldn't you want to say, hey, uh, could you cancel the concert? Could you do something? Could you call the police? Could you, right? We know what's coming. And so that's why this is an important session, and what you're going to hear from uh, uh, Pastor Greg is going to be so important in the remainder of this time, because really this is, this is for our edification so that we can do our job. Our job is to get the gospel where it needs to go on time. So if you have your Bible, turn to uh, uh, first, this is going to be a little strange, but First Peter chapter 4. It's not in your notes, and I'm going to just jump off of this this morning. First um, uh, Peter chapter four, and this in this in this uh, uh, epistle of Peter, Peter is is writing to the saints that are well, they're going through some things, and uh, you ever go through some things? Yeah, um, he starts off in chapter four and verse one. He says, "For as much then as Christ has suffered." For us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, uh, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. I think Pastor Mark did an awesome job last night. If you did not see that presentation, man, you, you got to see it. And if there's, an, there's a lot of motivation uh, in that just to, to really consider how we're living our life and and what the outcome will be at the judgment seat of Christ. And I bring that up because uh, if you fast forward in this chapter to, to verse 17, the Bible says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel? Uh, we're going to touch on that. Uh, Greg will touch on that later. And so I'm not going to get too heavy into that. And, 
Uh, I just want to bounce off of that because you might be wondering, what really, what's going on now? We're, we're, we're entering the midpoint of the tribulation. My discussion for the rest of this time will be primarily about this great tribulation. Okay, so um, what's going on here? Well, last night we saw what's going on here. Uh, before God's attention is, is, is turned fully on the nation of Israel. Now, I, w- I want to be clear. I don't know exactly <coughs> when the judgment seat of Christ, you know, commences amongst the opening of seals and all those other things. But I suspect uh, very strongly that our judgment in heaven um, at the judgment seat of Christ, of course, that I think we're all pretty clear that this is for not be, this doesn't have anything to do with our salvation, but for the works done in the body, whether they be good or bad. That's the, the clear teaching of the New Testament. <coughs> that, that judgment seat of Christ occurs after we get taken up. Here on our chart, it's right here at the beginning. I think that's a great place for it. Um, I do think that it's going to be fairly uh, quick after we get taken up, and, and that happens. Okay, so as that's going on in heaven, <coughs> um, <coughs> we know that's a fairly a faux, right, like the old faux painting. We've got a faux Pax Romana happening here, a little, a little uh, false peace uh, with a covenant that's going to try to unite the world. We'll talk a little bit about that some more and how that's going to go bad. And then um, we're heading to this point of, of great delusion and a great uh, worldwide delusion, and we'll look at that as well today. And then with that comes <coughs> uh, the fullness of the wrath of God as we head toward the Ar- Battle of Armageddon, the vials uh, that are poured out, and the wrath of God at the very end as he s- thrusts in his sickle for the grapes of wrath and fulfills Revelation 19 uh, and treads upon the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And as Greg said yesterday, um, you ain't seen nothing yet. You think a third and a third and a third is bad. Wait till you get over here and experience the full wrath of God. All right, so judgment then is coming on the earth. <coughs> so, uh, of course, as we observe the Lord's Supper and the Passover, what does the Bible tell us in 1 Corinthians? It tells us in uh, chapter 11 to judge ourselves lest we be judged. So I do pray that the time that we have together <coughs> is, uh, is really uh, useful and that as we take all of this, because I promise you right now, before we're done today, your heads are going to explode. And there's just way too much information for us to process. And you, that's why we gave you so many notes, and you're going to have to take them home and, uh, and process this the rest of your life uh, because I'm still processing it the rest of my life. So there's a lot here. Uh, but know this, <coughs> that what we're getting ready for, even in this study, the reason this is so important to us, right, is because we see what's coming to people we know. People we know. Our relatives, our friends. And also, we have a judgment seat of Christ, which was very, very clearly laid out last night. And I'm still, I think I'm still, after that, it's like you want to just go sit in a corner somewhere and say, okay, Lord, let's do inventory. All right, let me start when I was, you know, born again, uh, March 25th, 1987, and I want to just get everything cleaned up. Uh, Like I told someone, I want to open up all my closet doors, (laughs) start getting everything out. And I do encourage you to do that. If, if If nothing else is done this week, if last night causes you to open all your closet doors, of your heart and your mind and your life and pull out all the junk that you're holding on to and you're coveting, uh, secret sin and all that kind of stuff and just just junk. Man, praise God. Uh, we've had a successful meeting. All right, got to get moving. So first slide, I don't see this slide because I can't see it, but that's okay. Um, <coughs> go, I think you should see right now that we're covering a survey of prophecy, Great Tribulation, the second half of the Tribulation, as seen in Matthew chapter 9, I mean Matthew 24, verses 9 through 28. All right, so... 
Uh, one of the things that I, as if you would, if I took time to read First Peter four, by the way, in verse seventeen, you would have seen some trials that come, and uh, it would have been. It's it's one of those things that I want you guys to understand that uh, as we look at this chart, I mentioned yesterday, it's like a, it's kind of like a microcosm of of church history as well as is in the first seven churches. Um, you know, Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira and Sardis, especially Sardis. Uh, these people throughout church history, saints have suffered tribulation and are suffering tribulation. I think it's important for us as Christians in the United States especially. We've been blessed. This country's been blessed for the last couple hundred years. It's been, it's been amazing. But that's not normal Christianity. We kind of view everything through our own lens, which is, why, by the way, a little plug for missions trips. We've got to take missions trips because then you see the rest of the world. My relationship with Pastor Pradeep Lima was based in persecution. It was based on them getting relief supplies to Christians that uh, had been uh, the families that were running and fleeing and living in the jungles didn't have any means of living. So the Christians responded uh, to help them in their time of tribulation, right? If you live in Mosul, right, uh, if you've lived in Mosul the last few years, formerly in the Bible called Nineveh, uh, and you were part of caught up in the war between ISIS and, and uh um, in the United States and Syria and everybody else in Iraq, you would feel like you were in the tribulation because they are in tribulation. Literally, Christians in the Middle East have been crucified uh, recently. Uh, you could, I could go through a list of places: uh, um, uh, Smyrna or uh, Smyrna, Syria, uh, Egypt, um, uh, uh, Sudan, Uzbekistan, places we've never heard of. We don't take note of, right? Because we're watching the Chiefs win on Monday Night Football, uh, but uh, <laughs> amen. Uh, and so, so we don't take note of those things, but I- any time throughout church history, including right now, you could feel like, oh man, I'm in the tribulation, because tribulation is part of the experience of the Christian. And if you watched carefully last night in that, in that, in the, in the, what Mark did, man, I tell you, in his presentation, there's a part of that, I don't know about you, but you're like, oh man, this is a little, I don't know if this is right, but there's a part of you that's like, I wish I could die for Jesus. Now the truth is you can. What did Paul say? I die daily. Amen. And so uh, it really is about giving up our life. And so um, the reality is, is we have the opportunity to give up our life for a sure thing. And everyone that goes into this time of tribulation will give up their life in one way or another. And the most of them, not all, right? We have means of salvation even in the tribulation, but a large majority of people will be resurrected and cast in the lake of fire. And the, and the impetus, the, the reason that we preach the gospel now is because of that. And so uh, there's a lot of false teaching as we look at this, uh, uh, this chart today, right now especially, that, well... Uh, the only thing we really need to worry about now is this part of the tribulation because that's really uh, the tribulation. Well, no, the, the, the word is great tribulation. That means there's tribulation before it. And uh, the whole period is a time of God's wrath, fulfilling Daniel's 70th week. We saw that. So we're going to look at the last three and a half years of the tribulation just prior to the second coming. And then I'm going to jump into some of the, uh, the things that rega- regarding the last half or the, uh, the uh, coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to get moving. So... It's important that we see that the people here addressed as we go into our teaching as Israel is they're judged for the rejection of Christ. And, and, uh, and also, not only are they judged, but they're restored 
and the lost world is condemned for sin and rebellion against God. So the, the, the worst time in the world uh, is coming. It's, it's, it's yet to come. It's not come yet. As bad as the, tribula- the, uh, the uh, suffering and persecution and all that has ever been, it's still going to get worse, and it's been pretty bad at times. And so God's truth gets dispensed in Matthew chapter 24. Let's uh, turn to our text there, and uh, let's jump off of that board and keep moving. Matthew chapter 24. I took you up to verse uh, 8 yesterday. Let's pick it up in verse 9. It says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Who's he speaking to here? Does just somebody yell it out, other than Greg Axe? Israel, very good class. And so then, okay, the they here, he's speaking historically to his disciples. He's obviously talking to uh, the nation of Israel. So that's context. That's the first rule of Bible study. Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end shall be saved. Now, this is what I brought up yesterday. This is part of the means of salvation right here in the middle of our chart at the bottom. Enduring to the end to be saved. This is uniquely different from the gospel uh, of, of grace that we preach that just says you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved. There are some, uh, your faith is going to be worked out uh, by your action in the tribulation. So the way God judges that is a little different. It's still by grace through faith, but it's a little different ma- uh, manifestation. So verse 14, this, and this gospel, this good news of the kingdom <coughs> shall be preached uh, in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Uh, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, uh, predicating there must be a holy place, by the way, whoso readeth, let him understand that would be you and me we're to understand this not just the apostles not not it's us too and then of course in the future after the rapture there will be jews coming across this there will be gentiles come across this or being taught by jews and they will eventually understand this <clears throat> then let them which be in judea flee into the mountains let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes and woe unto them that are with child and them that give suck in those days, but pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now this time is marked, again, I'll remind you from yesterday, with what we call the abomination of desolation. This is taken from um, also Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. It is the midpoint of the tribulation. It's one of those... Uh, it's not the same, uh, what do you call those marks, um, registration marks. It's not that registration mark that was t- talked about yesterday, but it is a registration mark of sorts. You can, you can pretty much fix, based on the text of the Bible, very clearly, Old Testament, New Testament, midpoint of the tribulation, abomination of desolations, right before the great tribulation. It's, it's established. All right? And so, um, verse, uh, verse 22, And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, who's that? If the church is removed, who is he talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's talking about Israel. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Uh, and so you reform guys can run around with that all day. Then, if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, and there believe it not, 
For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that it were po- if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And I'm going to just stop right there. Now, I'm going to run. I'm going to run through these notes. I'm going to go as fast as I can, because I have, I don't, I need a clock, Hale, because I'm in trouble if I, where is it? You think, Brian, you're time conscious. If you knew me well, you'd know why I'm time conscious, so, because uh, I have to be. Sorry, man. I'm not trying to cause problems or point you guys out. When you're in the AV, by the way, the most unappreciated people ever are the AV people. The only time they get noted is when, like, hey, where's my clock? Right? Where's my... It's terrible. So, anyway. uh, Anyhow. Rodney Dangerfield of ministry, man. All right. So, (coughs) some of you are old enough to get that. So, I'm finally to point one. The major purpose of the tribulation, that's your fill in the blank, is God's judgment on, well, here's the blank, Israel. You could have probably guessed that, right? So I mentioned yesterday that Israel's a son. At, at point A and point B, talk to this. God will judge his people for the rejection of his son. Now, in Exodus chapter 4, you can mark this down. It's not in your notes. In verses 22 through 23, <coughs> God calls Israel. Jacob is the son of God. So God deals with Israel corporately. This is a good Bible principle just for your general study anyway. when God, You know how God deals with us as Christians. <coughs> um, it's very personal, very individual. <clears throat> of course, as Americans in Laodicea, we love that, right, to the people, right? So we're all about that, right? We get that. <clears throat> well, as God deals with us individually, he also deals with Israel corporately as an individual son. And that's called out from Exodus chapter 4 and other places. That's just a quick reference, and you can run some others on that. And these other references that we have on Hosea, Daniel, uh, or Deuteronomy, Ezekiel, uh, which I'm not going to be able to turn to this morning. You can go back, what, having that understanding, and look at those references, and it's going to be like, aha, I see what God's doing with his people. Point B, now God's going to restore Israel. So this is not just a time of judgment. It's also a time of restoration. Uh, by the end of the tribulation, his chosen people are, are going to be, uh, <coughs> they're going to be caught up. Uh, well, the, the gleanings are going to be caught up, the post-tribulation rapture, and the remnant of Israel. And God's going to go ahead and fulfill his promises that he made to Israel. And, uh, and exactly what he said, Matthew 5, his government will set up, Isaiah 9 will be, you know, continue to be completed in the increase of his government. There shall be no end. And all those things are going to come to pass. He's going to administrate it through the, uh, the 12 tribes, with the 12 apostles, and all of those things are going to happen. We'll talk about that later. So they're going to be judged, spanked, and restored all at the same time. Now, a point two. Who, who is, right, he that is taken out of the way? Oh, that is the million-dollar question. And I'm glad that Pastor Greg has decided he's going to take that on. <laughs> so... Uh, I'm not going to get into that too much. Uh, Greg's going to teach a whole session on that. But I do want you just to quickly turn uh, to 2 Thessalonians 2, just so we can touch on this, because this is a big deal. And it is in the New Testament. It's in the Pauline epistles. Uh, Again, a church, Thessalonica, going themselves through a time of tribulation, right? That's why Paul wrote to them, uh, was trying to comfort them, right? The The catching away, the rapture of the church is a comfort, uh, it's, a, it's a blessed hope. It's one of those things that God gives us. And also, uh, he, uh, the Apostle Paul would write to help people understand, hey, this is what's going to happen. Now, for sake of time, I'm just going to read verse 7, which is in your notes, through verse 9, which is not. And it says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. I'm going to pause there because I, I, I keep pointing this out. The mystery of iniquity has been working since Babylon. All right, uh, The mystery of Babylon religion, it's nothing new. And so there is, a, there is a, a, a clear traces and evidences. The reason the church has suffered throughout the last couple thousand years uh, is because iniquity, uh, right, and, 
and the Babylonian religion and all the things that God's setting up for the end times, well, it's, it's been underway, right? Uh, Satan has been working on calling out his church, the infrastructure for his kingdom, all of that stuff that's yet to come in the tribulation for this very moment. It's been working. It's been working. So uh, in, in, in the text here, it says, The mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. And I want you to look at verse 9. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, capital S, <laughs> with all power and signs and lying wonders. And so that man of sin will be revealed uh, and... It's happening, so he will be revealed. He is the wicked that's revealed. Now, one of the things I just want to point out, and I'm not going to hang on the rim here because I have a lot to say and, a lot, and I need to get it done, but I want to just mention this. When I was coming up early on in my Christian life, I got saved in 87 right on the cusp of the 88 reasons why, right? So I was just in this, just embroiled in all this prophecy uh, stuff. And, and what, I, what I took away initially uh, was, looking back on it too, is very immature of Christianity as a whole, was so focused on what's the world going to think after the rapture? What's the world going to think after the rapture? Uh, you know, the strong delusion is going to be everybody focused on what happens after the rapture. Uh, beloved, I really don't think that's going to be a big challenge. I, I think that'll be explained away very simply. Either, oh, guess what? They were right. Prophecy's fulfilled. Now it's time for to move on. We got a we got a Pax Romana. The world it's uh, it's the age of Aquarius. Let's go. It's very possible. Those pre-tribbers were right all along. So let's get on with the millennial kingdom. All millennialism is in. <laughs> you know, I don't know how to explain it. Maybe the UFOs came and sucked us up. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't think that's going to be the big delusion. The strong delusion is going to be this. And, of course, it starts here with his political entrance, but it's really going to be on in full steam midway through the tribulation. And, and uh, Pastor Greg's going to talk more about that. It's the signs and the lying wonders. And the fact that people will see this man as Christ, that's, that's, the, big, that's the big delusion. That's, that's the thing that is, is really uh, amazing and, and incredible to behold, even for the Apostle John. And so, and, and of course, uh, that is what we are concerned with. The way to discern that, you know, the reality is we sit around and we think about that is how many of us were blind? Man, I, I was blind, man. I... Uh, I, you know, I used to be pro-abortion, anti-Israel. I mean, everything I can think of, I was anti-Christ. I remember not wanting to go in a church building. I remember mocking Christians. I did all that stuff. Why? Because I was blind. And, you know, guys, Jesus makes all the difference. You know, one of the, I gotta, I've got to take a time out here. I can't help but preach, and I've got to get on my notes. But hang on, I'll just say, hang on just a second here. One of the most beautiful things I've ever seen about the gospel I've experienced uh, in uh, Arissa. As we were teaching pastors, we started sharing testimonies. And what I realized as we were underway, as an American, I'm kind of like, I, you know, I'd like to get my, I'd like to spit some, spit some beech nut in that dude's eye and shoot him with my old 45, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, no, you guys don't listen to Bocephus. But anyway, <laughs> if you did, you'd know what I was talking about. Man, you persecute the brothers, you persecute the church, you leave women and orphans behind you. I can't believe how wicked you are. I'm an American Christian. You know, I'm going to stomp you out. I'm going to show you the wrath of God. Now, that's totally wrong and carnal. 
Yeah, and then so you realize that 50% of the people that you're talking to or more were the persecutors, and now they're pastors, from persecutors to pastors. And you see that how the gentleness and the goodness of God led them to repentance and how God did a supernatural work. And I'll tell you, as a Christian, especially as an American Christian, it just it humbles you in a real hurry, and it helps you show that, you know what, God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. I like what Jesus, he doesn't need me, right? He reveals this stuff to us to show us his power. You know what he needs from us is to preach the gospel. He's the one with the power, and now is the time to do it. And so we need to get that done uh, because you don't want to see any of your friends or neighbors, relatives getting into this, this time because if they don't receive the gospel now, the wrath of God will abide upon them, and they will be deceived, and they're already blind, as was I, as are, were you before you knew Christ. Okay, point three, mid-tribulation events that change the world. That change the world. There is a series of events, as the notes say, that you can, you can read the notes. I don't want to read everything. Uh, but they occur in the midpoint of the trib, that all, that the, and they all work together after the course of human history. So these events uh, occur nearly simultaneously and are all connected to the revealing of the wicked. And so they form the, the pivot upon which the great tribulation rests and there is a pivot in the midway point of the tribulation so point a worldwide here's your blank apostasy right it reaches its full measure and so if we were to take time we were in matthew chapter 24 just to i'm going to go back and grab verses 23 and 24 uh, i'm not going to read all of that for time's sake but in the text it says if any man shall say unto you lo here is christ or there believe it not for there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now, I already brought that up once. Why is that so important? Because we know from 1 Corinthians 1, right, in verse 22, that Jews require a sign, right? right? So the signs and lying wonders, what, what is that all about? That's partially, right, part of the judgment that's coming upon Israel. That's what's coming upon Israel. And so uh, they're going to fall hook, line, and sinker for that. Uh, there's a great dragon, Revelation chapter 12, and verse 9, that's cast out. And uh, it, we'll talk about that more. But the earth becomes what happens at this point. Uh, and, and, and I really want to make this point clear. For those of you, and I, I don't have a lot of notes on this right now, but I just want to kind of get your head around it conceptually. And as you study Revelation, it'll make more sense. Uh, we know from Ephesians, right, that, that, that Satan is the prince in the power of the air right we get that but we also know when we read daniel right daniel is praying in daniel chapter 9 going back to yesterday and he's praying he's like oh lord what are you going to do and gabriel comes and, and and communicates to him and gives him down uh, angels or messengers he sends a message and he says here's the, here's the deal daniel boom and he lays out a bunch of prophecy and what god's going to do and more and uh, leading us all the way to this study today. So that prophecy that was given to Daniel on that day is pertinent to our study today. I mean, God had all that in his mind. He's amazing. All right, so at that time in Daniel, uh, as soon as he prayed, his prayer was heard. Gabriel makes it clear. Hey, Daniel, when you prayed, we heard it. It took me a while to get here, right? Why? Well, we've had some, and Daniel talks about there was some conflict you know, and Michael, your, your prince, your, your angel, is, is working on your behalf. But we got some issues over here with Grisha, the city-state, right? And, and we got some things working out. Why? Well, we'll get to that in a little while. And, uh, and, and some history's getting worked out in the, well, the second heaven, somewhere. And I don't know all that, how that all works out. But there's some dominion up there uh, between the third heaven 
where the throne of God, the crystal sea we, I mentioned yesterday, and then under that expanse, that firmament is outer space, as we call it, and then there's somewhere the earth sitting at the bottom of the footstool. And there's some conflict. The things that are going on on earth, the things we're talking about this morning, are part of a cosmic conflict. And that cosmic conflict, man, it's going on, and it's raging, and it's going, and man, I would not want to be ahead of a state of any country because you are dealing with demonic influence. There's no doubt about it. That's the, the principles of any state, uh, unless you're born again and sealed with the Spirit of God, and then you're still dealing with demonic influence. But you're dealing with devils, man. That's what's going on. There's a wrangling, and there has been, between the countries and the nations, all leading to this point. Why? Because what's going to happen, and Greg will get into this some more, and I don't want to take anything from him, so I'm going to be simple here. But what's going to happen is earth becomes ground zero as the incarnate Antichrist comes to fore. Now, for him, that's great. Why? Because, and he's listening, he knows this, I guess. Uh, well, he's, he's, he's going to be the king. And he thinks, because he's so full of pride, he's going to pull this off. And God's going to let it happen. Signs and lying wonders. But also what that does, I believe, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm prefacing that. I believe, right, so you can argue with me, and I could be wrong. But I really do believe that the battle zone then becomes earth. For all the cosmic conflict that's been going on for the last 6,000 years, it's going to come right down to earth, which is why hell's being poured out on earth. Because hell's going to be coming up and heaven's going to be coming down. And it's going to be a big old sandwich right here in the Great Tribulation. That's why it is the Great Tribulation. It's like all the movies you see, right? These outer space creatures and all this stuff. It's all coming to ground zero, right? And guess what? There isn't going to be, who is that? Who is that uh, I don't even know, the Marvel team to come out with all their stuff. And, uh, you know, forget that. It's going to have to take Jesus Christ to set, straighten this all out. Okay. So the world leader who orchestrated the peace plan, uh, point B, will be assassinated. That's part of the strong delusion. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to be resurrected. So point C, the bottomless pit will open. Revelation 9, 1 through 11 speaks to this. This bottomless pit is where some of the fallen angels have been reserved in everlasting chains and the judgment. They will be released into the earth for the great tribulation. And there will be some keys given so that pit can be opened. So God spared not the angels. In Jude chapter, uh, in Jude well, there's only one chapter. In verse 6, God spared not the angels which left their first estate. Well, where did they go? Well, they've been reserved and changed. Until such, I believe, take the Bible literally, I believe they'll be released during this period. It'll be, it'll be terrible. It'll be crazy. And, uh, and, and, the, and, you know, so right now, is it going to be the collider in Europe? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it will be like a Marvel movie. I don't know. Somehow the keys are going to be given and, 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 and the portal's going to be open, and these dudes are coming up and out. By the way, God doesn't need a collider in Europe, for those of you know what I'm talking about, that proton collider. He doesn't need all that. If they use that, I don't know. They are dabbling with stuff. Maybe they ought not, but anyway, that's another story. All right, so these fallen angels in the bottomless pit have a king over them, and of course, he is the angel himself. Revelation 9, verse 11 identifies this angel. Uh, and this angel king can be fairly uh, safely established as tying together several passages of the scripture, which are listed here for you. I'm not going to do these in too much detail for time's sake, but as you go through these references, we find that Judas was a devil. And Judas Iscariot was a unique person in the whole of the Bible. 
And this is uh, this in my experience among Christians. I was brought up and taught all this from day one when I got saved. I just thought everybody knew this. But I found out as being a pastor in, in Harrisonville, where I live, when I talk about Judas being the Antichrist, people are like, their heads start spinning. <laughs> They're like, what are you talking about? Judas was a good guy. I mean, didn't you read John MacArthur's book on the 12 apostles? He was just misguided. I'm like, oh, no. Uh, Peter had some problems and was like us and had some, you know, he stumbled and bumbled. Uh, but Judas was not Peter, Right. And so uh, Judas was a unique uh, individual. He was the only man in history to, per- to be personally indwelt with Satan himself. Um, he went to his own place. That's unique. In Acts chapter 1, the Bible's very clear. He went to his own place after he committed suicide. Uh, why is that? Well, I think because we'll see him again. The beast, the Antichrist, shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, the Bible says in Revelation 17, 8. And this beast was is not and shall ascend. So at the time John wrote the book of Revelation, Judas was alive, past tense, is not presently alive, and shall ascend to make second appearance on earth. Since Satan counterfeits everything God does, it's no surprise that he will also stage a second coming through Judas Iscariot. That's radical thought, but beloved, I, I think it's pretty sound in the scripture. Revelation 17, 8 through 11, and 8 and 11, the beast shall go into perdition. The word perdition is used there. Of course, we just, we'll see in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, the son of perdition in reference to the Antichrist. In Pauline epistles, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he's called the son of perdition, which happens to be the same thing that Jesus Christ himself called Judas in John 17, 12. And so uh, I do believe that the scripture is complete there. So point D, war in heaven results in Satan and the rest of the fallen angels being cast to the earth and confined there for the remainder of the great tribulation, right? Earth becomes ground zero uh, for this confrontation, and the head wound will be healed. A false resurrection will be staged to a counterfeit, uh, and a false resurrection staged to counterfeit the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he's just going to emulate everything Jesus does. And uh, and so I believe, that's why, by the way, all the the, uh, seals, right, they deal with a third, it's no coincidence, a third, and a third, and a third, and a third. That's interesting. That, that star fell from heaven, and his tail took a third of the angels. Now, we know historically, we know when we think about that, yeah, Satan was cast out, and that, that all happened. He's been, I believe he's been quarantined, so you, I know the question then, well, then how did, in Job, how did Satan appear with the angels? I don't, that doesn't mean he came to the third heaven. And Jesus may have met him at the foot of the, of the, the crystal sea. I don't know how that happened. I don't know if he's going back and forth up there. I know he is the accuser of the brethren day and night. But anyway, moving on. I'm getting myself off track. Where was I going with that? War in heaven. Head wound. Healed. So anyway, it's going to be terrible. Uh, (laughs) I'm done. No, just kidding. Uh, When he's cast down, He's gonna, he, is going, he is going to have no other options at this point. He's going to have to be successful or he's going to be doomed, and he will be doomed. But believe me, have you ever stepped on a snake? I did one time. We had, don't tell the people at Heartland, we had one in the church building, and uh, <laughs> it was in the hallway one day. Well, and I'm like, oh, man, it was a little one, so it was no big deal. And I stepped on its head, and I ground it down, you know. And then it wraps itself around my leg. 
And now I'm like afraid to pull my foot up. I'm like, well, did it like find a hole under my shoe or something? <laughs> what in the deal? Well, you know what? The, that snake was just writhing. It didn't matter if his head was crushed or not. It was just whipping around. And Satan, man, he is gonna he is gonna whip and nay nay. Let me tell you, <laughs> as, <laughs> as he as he is as he is finishing out his kingdom, he's gonna put on a show. Okay, now I can remember what I was gonna say. So. A third, and a third, and a third, right, of these angels. Hey, man, it all becomes part of his show. Man, it's all part of what he's doing. And, uh, and God allows it. That's the strong delusion. God allows it. You know how much gracious God is? It's, I, it's unbelievable to me. Even the millennium, which we'll get to tomorrow. Man, I mean, he's, 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 he's awesome. He's, he's just incredible. All right, so the head wound, it'll be healed. The false resurrection will be in place. Uh, the, the, the satanic trinity uh, will come to fore, the false prophet, the beast, the antichrist, as the body of the great world leader um, will resurrect, and the soul of Judas Iscariot with the spirit of Satan will be manifest on earth. It'll be a satanic trinity. It'll be, it'll be wicked. Okay, point F, got to keep moving. So the revealing of the wicked, the process by which the true identity of man of sin is revealed to the nation of Israel, revealed to Israel, because not everybody now is blinded. Israel is blinded in part. Now, we look at that in Romans, as we should. Uh, you know, Hyman Appleman got saved and preached the gospel. Hallelujah, right? There's Jews that get saved. Joe Shaloff, my good, I have a Jewish friend. He's a Christian man. He preaches the gospel. Praise God. Jews get saved. Paul was a, was a Jew, got saved. So there's always been Jews that have gotten saved and God has used them uh, throughout the church age. But now... Uh, this is when, the, when, the, when Satan is revealed, there'll be, uh, or when he uh, comes to the fours, the man of sin, it will be revealed to the nation of Israel. Matthew chapter 24 will come into focus. And Israel will be initially, they'll initially accept the leader as their Messiah. Sadly, many Jews, by the way, will go into perdition. Many will be lost for eternity. Um, but after this, the resurrection, the Antichrist will break the covenant with Israel and stop the sacrifices and require uh, a sacrifice for himself. That is the abomination. Number one, I'm the Christ, now sacrifice to me. I think he goes so far as to do human sacrifice, by the way, for those that won't follow him. So the Antichrist will take over the temple and declare himself to be God, and we already read that, Second Thessalonians 2.4. So the Antichrist and the world will turn on Israel in force and persecute them, and that's why Greg says at that point, Matthew 24, 15 through 21, it's not just this one day of wrath, which it is a day of wrath on Jesus' end, but there's also a campaign leading up to Armageddon. It's a war uh, against, and we see that today. The world's already gearing up for that, right? You know, we got to stop ISIS. We got to stop this. We got to stop. So it's basically the same thing. And just wait till the crosshairs are turned on you, <laughs> and all the world power comes on after you. And that's basically what you're going to have is a campaign. So, point G the, Jew, the Jews will flee into the wilderness of uh, Sela Petra in the desert, which is still there, right? You can get online, Google it up, there's Petra. Well, guess what? It's gonna, it's gonna, God is going to take them and hide them in the rock, and uh, the rocks of Petra. Now, the cool thing is, look in your text in Revelation 12. I do want you to turn here, because the Bible is very clear about this, uh, this second half of the tribulation. Revelation chapter 12, and, uh, and verse 6. It says, And the woman fled, and the, by the way, uh, the woman here is Israel, fled into the wilderness, where she hath a, uh, a place prepared of God 
that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. Um, and so we know there's a thousand two hundred threescore days. That's twelve hundred and sixty days. Uh, that's not date setting. That's quoting the Bible, right? We know that's what's going to happen. Matthew twenty four. That that admonition. Jesus is saying, when you see that day, flee into the wilderness. And it's also noted in the text, um, in, uh, later in that chapter, down in verse 14, as a time and times and a half time from the face of the serpent. And so that's why we say that, that, that his attention turns to really, really go after Israel. Satan hates Israel. Why? Well, he hates Israel because he, he heard what Jesus said in the garden. He heard what through the seed of a woman... <laughs> is going to come his demise. Guess through the, who that, where that seed came from? Well, yeah, it came through Eve, and it came through David's line, and it came, it, Jesus was born of Mary, the virgin, and, uh, but Israel was the one who delivered the Messiah, just like the prophecy said. And what's that, that prophecy go on to say in, Matthew, or in uh, Genesis 3? Um, um, is that verse 18? What is it? 15. That he's going to bruise his head, Right? And so Satan is like, man, i gotta, I got to put this woman out of business. He hates Israel, just like he hated Eve and Adam in the garden, just like he hates you, by the way. And he hates me, I hate to say, but praise the Lord, we've got a Savior. Amen? If, hey, i got to say this. If, if the devil doesn't put a little fear in you, then you just don't know who you're dealing with. I mean, honestly, I, it, it's kind of scary to even get up here and talk about this end time stuff. Because I, I got news for you. This, the devil means business. Uh, to me, that's another reason to have our closets clean. We're like, oh, God, bring revival. I just wrote an article. Let's have revival. Well, I w- we need revival, and we ought to have revival, but we need to realize what we're dealing with. So you need to, you know, get real with God because the, the time is nigh. We need to really get the gospel out. And uh, spiritual persistence brings satanic resistance. All right, point G. Time's running out. The Jews will flee into the wilderness, as I've already said. Uh, point H. Moses and Elijah will return. Oh, man, I hear it now. Ryan, you don't know if it's Moses or Elijah. <sighs> okay. So, with, so I do believe it's Moses and Elijah. It's the two olive branches. Uh, I don't have time to look up the olive branches. Let me just, the only other option is always Enoch. Um, and Enoch uh, is, is, is not, he, one of the things, you don't want to take Enoch away uh, because, and include him there because he is one of the greatest types of the rapture uh, in the Old Testament because he's before the law, right? There is no law yet. Both Elijah and Moses were under the law, so they are dealing with Israel. By the way, next time you read through your Old Testament, you know, and you're reading about Moses and Elijah, keep some of the discussions we're having in your mind about the tribulation. I mean, the Bible will just pop open when they're dealing with Ahab and Jezebel. I mean, it's just going to, I mean, when you're seeing, and by the way, when you see, see uh, uh, Moses standing off with Pharaoh in the Old Testament, now think about what's going to happen in the tribulation as they have a standoff with the Antichrist. Woo! I mean, it's rich to think about some of those things. I get kind of, my imagination runs away with me. And so, those are the two olive branches. I'm just telling you. Zechariah, that's what he's talking about. Chapter uh, 4, verses 11 through 14. And you, if you say, Brian, no, it's not, well, okay, you can have your opinion. Um, and so Moses and Elijah are the real Jehovah Witnesses, the two leaders of Israel, uh, who also encouraged the 144,000 Jewish male virgins. So Enoch cannot be one of the two witnesses because 
well, he never died. Uh, he was not nor did Elijah, but he wasn't a Jew. That's the main thing. Um, and uh, he establishes the only personal type of the rapture in the church. Do I have those notes in your, do you have those notes? Or are those my notes? And you don't have what I just said? Okay, so let me read this point to you. Enoch cannot be one of the two uh, tribulation witnesses for this fact. He is not a Jew, and he will never die, and is in, that inviolates Hebrews 9.27. So Enoch establishes the only personal type of the rapture of the church in the Old Testament. So those who are alive and remain at the rapture of the church will, will also never die. Right? So he's a wonderful type. Well, some will say, yeah, and, and we think Lamech hit him in the head. Have you ever heard that? Some people think Lamech was the one that, that uh, persecuted him because he was preaching. You know, Jesus is coming with 10,000 of his saints, and he was persecuted. And Lamech's like, man, if he got judged, then uh, if uh, Cain was judged for killing Abel, then I've killed a man. But we never see anything happen with that. So some people think that he was persecuted and, and uh, that God took him up before he died. I don't know. That may happen. I don't know if it did or didn't. Uh, I do want to throw that out, though, because some people think we're going to like be charging up our credit cards going into the rapture. I don't know. <laughs> Are you charging up your credit cards in ERISA? I don't think so. As they, de- as they change, the, they demonetize, and, and only the people that get, get in on that are the rich ones, right? The poor ones got to figure out where to get the rice. Feels like the tribulation, doesn't it? It's not there yet. And, brother, I pray this is a comfort to you and the people of ERISA. I learned a lot from going to Arissa, by the way. It's really humbled me. Okay, um, moving on. So point I, the heart of the children of Israel will, will turn to Jesus, and they will finally realize they have done what they've done in rejecting him. So there'll be repentance, right? Uh, not to be repented of. They will, they'll go, wow, we have messed up. And the 144,000 will be sealed and commissioned and, uh, to the, and told to endure to the end. Where have we heard that before? Matthew 24, 13. Endure to the end. And the, the references there that I, I want to look up, but I don't have time. Revelation 7 and Revelation 14. You really need to go back and look those up. They'll be, they'll be told to endure to the end. They're going to have a tremendous ministry. They'll be like 144,000 Apostle Pauls, right? So you read the, the book of Acts, and you're like, whoa, look at Paul and Apollos. We'll just put that times 144, and you will have, it will be powerful. So God will have an equally strong response right uh, from his witnesses and it's going to frustrate the devil to no end and so point uh, six an overview of the tribulation is seen from the book of revelation for time's sake i'm just going to um i'm just going to let you guys um uh kind of just read i'm just going to read through this let you have your notes but there's four separate accounts of the great tribulation we've already covered this so uh, i'm just going to touch on it uh, the main thing i want to point out here is that chapters four through six um, with the seven seals, it focuses on the Antichrist as, the, as, as he rides in on the white horse. Uh, chapter 7 through 11, with the seven trumpets, there's a focus, like the four Gospels, right? Uh, Matthew is a focus on the king. Luke is a, is a son of man. Um, uh, I miss Mark. He's a servant. Uh, Luke is Jesus as a man, the son of man. And then John is the deity of Christ. Jesus is the son of God. So there's four unique focuses on Christ. These, uh, these in chapters four, 7 through 11, there's the seven trumpets. Uh, which focus on the various plagues and judgments. 12 through 14 are the seven angels, which focus on Israel's persecution and the Antichrist's death grip on the whole world. Uh, and then 15 through 19 with the seven seals deal uh, with the seven vials. Um, I mean the seven vials, not seven seals. Um, the seven vials deal with God's judgment 
on the lost uh, Gentile nations as he pours out his wrath on the earth. The grapes of wrath then come. So, uh, point five, the identity of the one world religion of the tribulation. I wish I had time to hang on the rim here. This, kinda, this is kind of my bailiwick. I like to look at these things and think about them. Uh, they just fascinate me. Um, and so, um, the, the w- just for time's sake, Revelation chapter 17 and 18. I, I'm not going to take a lot of time with this, but uh, in verses 1 through 2, we have an outline here of, of religion, of strange bedfellows and political leaders. I think it's important to just summarize this for you. As, as we were going, turn over to the Revelation chapter 17, because you really, uh, when you get to Revelation 17 and 18, you have uh, basically <coughs> two views, I believe, the, the, the religious Babylon, and, and, uh, and, and you have um, political Babylon. And there's, uh, there's debate over whether uh, Babylon is, uh, you know, Rome, or is it literal Babylon. And I think it's okay to debate that, because I, I think there's some truth in both. I think I would not be, because all the, by the way, all the Petro that we went to war for, this isn't a political statement, this is just a fact. All that, all that stuff in Iraq that went on to get the oil going, uh, that oil does go to Europe. Okay, so I don't know how all that gets brokered out. The biggest, the biggest UN building in the world is actually, believe this or not, people don't even talk about this, is in Iraq, right, Babylon. And so, so there is a connection with Europe, oil, and uh, what's going on in the Middle East in formerly Babylon, right? And so I don't know what all that's going to do, but I do know Rome's going to be involved in it. Uh, and there is, you know, if we read around, the, as Americans, we don't think about the influence of Rome Politically, but if you were to rerun the tape back to the 1500s, um, and especially before that, right, with Charlemagne, you would know that as a state, you don't do anything without Rome's approval, or you're going to have the you're going to have some leverage put on you, right? They're going to send someone over to you know they're going to send the Spanish Armada across to try to knock your nation out, or uh, there's not there you just don't do what you want to do. There is no freedom, and uh, and so uh, and so Rome's going to have a death grip. And she's going to like it, especially when the Antichrist and her hook up. So um, religiously, what we see is that, is that he uses, like Jezebel in the Old Testament, uh, the, the, one of our mysteries is revealed in verse 5 of Revelation 17. And, and upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the great mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. When you go back and you, and you see what she does for the Antichrist, it's very practical. She helps draw in the, the kings of the earth, seven heads and ten horns, and, he, and she helps the, the bring in the Antichrist into power. And, um, and so uh, she has, has this ability, right, to work with the kings of the earth. Uh, she's a city, Rome is a city-state, right? Rome is a part of the United Nations. She's on and off, you know, depending on uh, what season it is. Um, but, I mean, people that aren't even of our ilk understand this. You got, I love, I mean, Ian Paisley, the old Presbyterian, I mean, standing in the United Nations with his sign up saying, to, uh, this was John Paul, he was the nice pope, right? He's standing with this sign up saying, you are the very Antichrist, <laughs> you know? Uh, he knew what was going on. Why? Well, because they're going through a war in Belfast uh, with, the, with uh, the Vatican. He knows how all the strings get pulled. And so, uh, so those guys were, th- th- that, that influence of Rome among, among the kings of the earth, there's a reason Ronald Reagan went to visit Right, and there's a reason all the, the the heads of state go visit the Pope, and that you know they aren't talking about the the focus conference or, or the the, uh, the certainty conference on the news tonight. Uh, they don't care on the news about that, but you know what? They'll focus on what the Pope says and what he does, 
Uh, and so once, you know, the whole world is going to follow after her, and she'll become the world religion after the catching away. And so that is, that's why she has so much influence. Uh, and so she's like Jezebel, and she's not really worried about what the kings of the earth think. She's not worried especially about what is going on with Israel. She's happy to take Israel's land and slay whoever she needs to uh, to get that done. And she doesn't think to her she's going to be destroyed. She's like Jezebel. She just flashes her eyelids, you know, get her hair made up, and everything will be okay. But just like Jezebel, when you get to the end of chapter 17, guess what happens? Satan just turns her over to, her own, to the people she beguiled to get him in power, and he lets them destroy her uh, because he hates his bride, unlike the Lord Jesus Christ who loves his bride. So there's a lot in your notes. It's all there. Read that. Go through it. Uh, I've just given you another little summary. Point six, uh, the identity and the heritage of the beast. Um, the beast is another title for Antichrist. And so Revelation chapter 17 um, uh, speaks to that. <coughs> and uh, I'm doing pretty good here. So, um, and so the identity of the heritage of the beast in Revelation chapter 17, 7 through 8, the beast is, is, uh, was and is not. So we've touched on that. And uh, we've already seen that Judas fits that description. There's those seven kings, five are fallen, one is, and another is yet come. Now this is a little bit more esoteric, right? What is all that about? Of course, in the Bible, nothing's esoteric. But anyway, so there's a summary there uh, that, that's been listed. Uh, the summary of the seven major Gentile kingdoms that rule the earth uh, beginning after the flood of Noah. So these are the, the Gentiles' uh, nations. And and when you look at this, you're going to see uh, seven of them listed. And, of course, uh, if, if you look at this, there's a gap in time between 1500 and 720. This is the Old Testament reign of the nation of Israel from the destruction of Egypt in the uh, Exodus to the captivity of the northern tribes in 720 a, uh, B.C. And so uh, five kings or kingdoms have fallen. And at the time of the writing of the book of Revelation in 100 A.D., one of the king kingdoms is. What kingdom would that be? Rome, Rome, Rome is, and it was the power of the time, okay, so, so that had to be Rome, so think about that, by the way, the Apostle Paul stood before Nero, who in essence was the Antichrist of his day, uh, therefore the other five have fallen and must be Nimrod's Babylon, um, uh, Babylonian kingdom through Greece, which is exactly six, and so uh, notice that Babylon is repeated under Nebuchadnezzar, and or I'm sorry, is repeated under Nebuchadnezzar, so that combines six into five. So the beast is the eighth and is of the seven, and so his kingdom is a accumulation and combination of the other seven, which is exactly what the prophecy in Daniel uh, points out, right? And that's why the, you have the, the, uh, the, the, the image comes down to the iron mixed with clay, and, those, and, and that kingdom goes forward all the way into the time in which we live. So everybody was talking about the United Nations being, you know, uh, being set up. I don't know, and a lot of people think, well, the United Nations is defunct. Listen, this is what I know isn't defunct. Whether the United Nations goes forward or not, it is really irrelevant. But the, there is definitely a economic regions of the world that are set up and uh, still functioning real, real well. The UN has a part in that. There's also... Um, the U, I, the, I c I'll get to that in a minute. I've got to hold my, my tongue because I, I want to say more about that. But um <coughs> the beast is going to come in and his kingdom is going to be ready. The Gentile kings of the earth are going to hand it over to him. And so the seven heads and ten horns are going to be manifest in the, new, in, the, uh, in the New Testament, in the tribulation as well. And so uh, point seven, sirs, what must I do to be saved in the tribulation? 
the gospel message of the 144,000 uh, will be proclaimed the coming judgment of God as Noah preached God's judgment. So just as in the days of Noah, the message will be rejected and only a very small remnant will be saved. And I don't have time to, I was going to look up these verses, but we don't have time. But I want to just point you back to this, the means of salvation in the middle of your chart. And this is really good information because there's essentially three ways a person can get saved during the tribulation. I want you to get this. God's grace is, only, is the only way to be saved, and it's not available until a person exercises faith in what God said. However, the way in which uh, that faith is d demonstrated can change with, with each dispensation. I, I want to be very clear on this. So instead of trusting Jesus as personal Savior, these people have to exercise faith in one of three ways. Number one, endure to the end. Is this in your notes? Okay, good. I'm glad it is. Is that statement I made in your notes? Okay, that's good. I don't want us to be, I don't want me and I don't want us to be misquoted on that. That's why I'm very careful. Uh, so you can endure to the end. Uh, you can die as a martyr and you can ha harbor a Jew during uh, the persecution. And so that is the way of salvation in the Old Testament. Or I mean in the Old Testament, I'm sorry, in the tribulation, uh, in the tribulation period. And so, and I do believe that begins because the mark begins back here. I believe that begins back here as the political kingdom is being established. The economic uh, development is going forth. And so <coughs> the, uh, the, the, there's a thing called sustainable uh, development that uh, I'll get to here in just a minute that I'll talk to you about. And I think that has a big factor today in us understanding what will be coming. And uh, it is a worldwide movement, and uh, you're not going to stop it. And it's really frustrating to us that have ever put up buildings. And uh, anyway, I'll get to that here in a minute. All right, so your next set of notes, Revelation chapter 19, uh, 11 through 16. Let's look at that text because <coughs> I'm going to fast forward to that. I have, uh, I do have th 28 minutes. Now, right now, your brain should just be probably melting because I'm talking faster now than Shelby. And uh <coughs> I don't even know if that's possible. And I'm definitely not as eloquent. All right, so it's like a bumpy ride. All right, so just like take a mental rest. <sighs> Run through this. The seals are open. The trumpets are open. Uh, the bottomless pit is open. Earth becomes ground zero for a great cosmic conflict. Um, Armageddon's underway. Israel's people, is the people of Israel are being... Uh, incredibly uh, persecuted by the Antichrist. God is supernaturally uh, taking care of them, and they're hiding in the rock. He's un they're in the cleft of the rock. They're under his wing. The 144,000 are facing off. Uh, there becomes a great uh, uh, standoff. Uh, the Satan thinks he's won when he kills the t the, uh, Moses and Elijah, the two witnesses, and uh, they resurrect. And, and so now we're, we're coming down to the end. And... Uh, and we're getting to this, this, the last, to one of these quakes. And so Revelation chapter 9, 19, 11 through 16 is a description of us coming back at the battle of the, at the day of the Lord. Revelation 19, 11, the heaven is opened. All right, we talked about heaven open in Revelation chapter 4. Well, heaven opens again in Revelation 19 and verse 11. This is where we re-enter re the scene. Revelation 19 and verse 11. And I saw heaven open. And by the way, uh, I'm running through this, but for time's sake, if you were to go back, the marriage supper of the Lamb uh, is mentioned in verse 9. And uh, that's us. And so that's exciting. So we got, like Mark was saying, we got white robes. Man, we are, 
you know, some of us are naked, but okay, we're there. And others of y'all are going to be, man, uh, you're decked out, praise the Lord. And uh, we're all going to be uh, part of this, Revelation 19.11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness doth he judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. John chapter 1, verse 1. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in the fine linen, white and clean. Amen and amen. And out of, the, out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and that he should rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth upon the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. Beloved, when I saw that, somewhere before March 25th of 1987, I don't remember the date, I was a lost person. And I saw that passage. It freaked me out. I got news for you. There is a ton of people out here in this world today that when they think about Jesus, they think of some pathetic, you know, dude. And when you, when you pop this on them, all of a sudden, they start thinking about the consequences of their sin. That's what happened to me. I'm just telling you, that's my testimony. I thought, of G- yeah, I had the crucifix above the bed. I was a little confused, a little Baptist, a little Catholic mixture, you know. So I had the, had the Baptist Catholic crucifix above the bed, Jesus hanging there like that, you know, looking at that thing. And that's kind of was my image of Jesus, this, this wussy guy hanging on a tree. I believed that maybe that happened in history. I didn't really believe it was Jesus, that he was God and all that, until I read this. And then all of a sudden, it just, without even understanding it, the Holy Spirit gave me enough understanding to say, Brian, you're in trouble. You're in deep trouble. Because this is how I'm coming back. And you know, the truth of the matter was, if I wouldn't have bowed my knee, I would have actually been facing the very things I'm talking about. It's scary to think about. Scary to think about for me, but man, think about the people that we know. That this is what's coming. And they just, some of them, it's one thing if they know, like, you know, their spirit of Antichrist, and many are, they're rebellious and, you know, thumb their nose at God, give God the finger. Okay, if that's what you want to do, I mean, God will take care of you in due time. But there's a lot of people who just don't really get it. And uh, you know why they don't get it? It's because we don't get it. The revelation of Jesus Christ is given to the seven churches. So we can get it. So we can get the gospel out. I just had to say that one more time. All right. So Jesus is coming out with a sharp sword. That with it he should smite the nations. And he shall, he shall rule them with a rod of iron. Forget political correctness. Forget putting your finger up and feeling which way the wind goes. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. And when he rules it's going to be right. And he, that, and he treadeth upon the winepress and the fierceness of wrath of Almighty God. The grapes of wrath will be coming. That sickle in Revelation 14, it will come and he will harvest the grapes, man. And it is, it's going to be a wild time. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I mean, he is the rightful heir to the world. What all this is about. Okay, let's get into our notes. You, you see the, the time frame and all of that. You can read that. I'm going to keep moving. Is it, it, it's a flaming fire taking vengeance on the lost. Second Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10, right? If, if they don't get the gospel, whoa, woe unto them. 
the United Nations of the world are assembled against God and Israel. Now, I don't know if that's the United Nations or a form of that. It doesn't really matter at this point. They're going to be the seven heads and ten horns uh, that come together on the Antichrist is what's going to happen. That's going to be who unite, who's going to be united against them. And the nations of the world or the, the economic regions that have been set up already uh, for sustainable development most likely uh, will somehow be represented. And uh, anyway, the f they'll have a final military power. Isn't that interesting? The United Nations has always been a peacekeeping force, and, and you know they're worse than the French when it comes to actually having a fighting backbone. That's why America always has to jump in and kick some booty all over the place, right? And so drag you into wars, and, and other countries like Great Britain and, and, and many others have had to go in and actually do the fighting because the UN doesn't has historically been terrible. They're peacekeepers, and they are also, you know, they're not much at doing anything, you know, go watch what happened in Mogadishu, right? The UN just isn't going to be very effective. But it's interesting. Once the Antichrist gets in charge, he's got a fighting force. He's got an army. And, uh, and the nations of the world, of the earth, are, they're going to, the, to war. So the, there's a movement to unite the world, as that's your fill in the blank, <coughs> as one. Um, and that's under Satan's control. The movement is to unite the world as one. Uh, and that's of Satan. So in Genesis chapter 11, 1 through 9, we've mentioned this already. Uh, Nimrod was a, had a global government. And the one world government is nothing new. That was going on during the age of, of Nimrod. Not, Nimrod was a mighty hunter. And I don't think he was out shooting deer, by the way. Uh, he, was, he was hunting people down. He was taking dominion. In Proverbs 11 and verse 21 and, and 16, 4 through 5, when mankind, mankind tries to join together as one, it is almost always against God. And God will certainly judge man for it. So this judgment's coming, and mankind can only be uh, one in Jesus Christ. So point B, the current United Nations is the political agency of the Antichrist. And I absolutely, that's, that's true. Uh, it began with the League of Nations in 1918 and with the war to end all world wars in World War I. And, of course, more wars have been fought uh, since 1918 than in all of human history combined. In Isaiah 2, 4, it's inscribed in the corner of the UN building of New York. The, the verse says, and, and he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But only part of this verse is quoted. The part about Jesus judging among the nations is omitted. omitted. And so the strongest influence of world government is, is, this is a term that, I don't know if you, how many of you heard of sustainable development? A fraction of you, okay? There's a term. Just just take this and put it in your pipe and smoke it. There's a term called sustainable development, and it is all over the world. It's not just a United States thing, and it encompasses education. It encompasses building co codes, and I'm sure there's probably some function that, that uh, encompasses uh, economy. I haven't studied that part out, uh, which probably all ties into this. And uh, regardless of who's running the United Nations and all of that stuff, uh, that, that initiative will not stop. I'm sure that's going to continue and part of the Kyoto Accords and part of all of this environmentalism that uh, Al Gore and all those uh, goofballs are a part of is all part of that. And I don't mean that with any disrespect. I guess that was disrespectful. But, um, <laughs> I mean, seriously, I'm not, we, well, we got to be careful because you're not, you know, we're supposed to be respectful uh, anyway. But anyhow, <laughs> it's hard to be sometimes. Uh <laughs> but uh, anyway, all of that stuff, uh, environmentalism and all of that that, uh, you know, and then the church buys in because we're wor afraid of what the world's going to say about us. So we try to go green and all of that. And guys, we should take—we've always been good stewards of the environment. It's conservation, by the way, 
was trumpeted by the United States. And, and uh, have you ever been to a third world country? I mean, if there's not a cleaner manufacturing place in the earth than the United States. I've worked for projects with the EPA, and, and I th as much as I do despise the EPA, uh, uh, as long as they're governed within the confines of the United States, they do some good work. We do have to take care of the environment. I, I'm not stupid like that. I've seen some horrible things with some irresponsible businesses letting flumes of chemicals going under daycares. That's terrible. We've got to make sure that doesn't happen. But on the whole, man, <laughs> the United States is a... It's just ridiculous. All this garbage about us destroying the world and flatulence, cow fart. It's, you know what that's about? <laughs> Sustainable development. Sustainable development, which means your carbon footprint needs to be this big, and you need to have your communal garden behind your house, and this is your portion. Because when the Antichrist comes in, you're going to get that. If it will be gone, but the people remaining will get their portion. And it's already set up. You ever spend any time in China? It's like being in the Matrix. Talk about sustainable. That is sustainable development. That's what it looks like. Everybody has this much. Of course, you can always pay people off to get more. But, but I tell you what, that's what it's all about, is you get yours. And the communal system is not going to work until Jesus returns and sets it up, because he's the only righteous king. When you get humans involved, it's all messed up. And so, anyways, it's, it's, a, it's a social and political initiative. Sustainable development is a social and political initiative that will not relent regardless of the strength or the weakness of political and financial strength of the United Nations um, in Brussels, Belgium. It is, uh, is the belief that uh, sustainable development is rational. It's hard to actually argue it sometimes. It makes sense, but it's leveraged with the pol politics, I believe, eventually. And this is what I believe. Okay, this may or may not happen. It could be wrong. I could be wrong about this, but I believe that this initiative will be leveraged by the Antichrist and the horror perdition, and it will be hard to argue, um, and and that'll help bring peace and healing to the world. And so the tentacles of sustainable development are already guiding public education through UNESCO and political powers throughout the environmental agenda, which affect every nation in the world. And so th in Revelation 5, 9, Jesus opens the book, uh, which I believe, to be titled, the, the, I believe to be the title deed to the earth. And that timing is not an accident. Why? Because as Antichrist sees his power back here, right, he's coming in politically. What's he going to do? He's just going to take this sustainable agenda, sustainable, uh, which uh, when you start arguing against sustainable development, you almost sound like an idiot in yourself, right? Because it's like, well, sure, we should have sustainable development. We should... Uh, you know, take care of the environment and make sure we don't destroy the earth. Right, if that's truly what you were doing, but there's more to it than that, right? And so, and so as the Antichrist comes on the scene, and, and really I believe he'll push this agenda like nobody's business. I mean, it'll be like age of Aquarius, man. Just, uh, just love everybody, take care of the earth. It's all going to be great. At the same time, as he sees the power to the earth, you see another scene in heaven. And there's nobody that can open the seal. Nobody's worthy to open the seal but the Lamb. And he gets up off the throne and he says, Hey, I've got the title deed to the earth. You're not the king, I am. And it'll take, it'll take this time of history 
to get all of that sorted out. But better, you better believe me, when he comes back, Revelation 19, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And when you talk about environmentalism, we'll talk about it more later, tomorrow. But he's got a, he's got a plan for the environment. <laughs> you better believe it. And it's effective. It's very effective. Okay. So, it's all part of God's plan. He allows Satan to have his time. He gets his little kingdom on the earth. But the king of kings and lord of lords, he holds a title deed to the earth. And Satan will gather the Gentiles together against Israel to try to eliminate them, as we've talked about, to stop the plan of God and the kingdom of Jesus. And God allows him to do that just to trap him and judge him here on ground zero. When you go to Joel chapter 3 and look at that, you can see what's going to happen. Zechariah chapter 14, those references, go back and read those. Point two, the armies of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the armies, yeah, God has an army. You think the United Nations uh, peacekeeping group is going to come together around the Antichrist and be an army? Wait till you see Jesus' armies. God's army is comprised of two basic units, Israel and the church. Uh, and so, <clears throat> um, in Song of Solomon 6 and Revelation 19, 11, we've read that. The fighting forces are uh, described as invincible and immortal. And I mentioned this yesterday in Joel chapter 2, and I don't have time for us to read it. I wish we did. Go back and read Joel chapter 2, 1 through 11. And, and then in your mind, picture this second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and being part of that group. It's amazing. And uh, it's also scary if you're on the business end of Jesus' second coming. God's people are, are the privilege, have the privilege of participating in the defeat of Satan and his armies. And there's, your references are there. I'm going to keep moving on. Point three, the basic route. This is what's really fascinating. I think I, what we need to probably, I'm going to try to wrap up on this um, in the time I've got remaining. So I'm going to, okay, I'm going to put it in the next gear. And we're just going to run through. I'm going to get your blanks done. Uh, the basic route of the second coming starts at Mount Sinai. And uh, all the references are here. I'm just going to talk through it for time's sake. It begins at Mount Sinai, right, where Moses receives the law. And it's uh, roughly the same route as the Exodus trip back up into the promised land. There's two places that are holy ground, Mount Sinai, where Exodus received the law, and, uh, and uh, the crossing of Jordan at Jericho. And so, remember that, where, where jo Joshua sees Jesus, and he says, are you with us or against us? And next thing you know, he's like, I'm the Lord, I'm the captain of the Lord's host. Joshua's on his face. He sees the, uh, sees the pre-incarnate appearing Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, he take your shoe off, or this is holy ground. Okay, so that's the other place. And so um, this route is the same, a similar route to what will happen uh, on the day of the Lord's coming. Zechariah 14, uh, 15 uh, speaks to this. When Jesus enters Jerusalem, he'll cross over the Jordan, and Jesus will go to the Mount of Olives. And you know what happens there? Literally, the valley sp splits. So when Jesus comes back, think about this. Nature's going to cooperate with him. I mean, that's going to be wild. Topography will change. Animals respond to him. I mean, there's just no way to defeat God. I and mean, he, he, you know what happened when, you know, they judge Korah, right? The earth opens up, <laughs> swallows people up. I mean, yeah, it's, it's serious. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Simple, we say that about Revelation all the time. It's hard to understand. It's simple to understand. It's just hard to believe. It's hard to believe, but it's true. Point D, Malachi there, and those references will teach us with the victory won, Jesus comes suddenly to the temple enters the eastern gate, and is crowned king of kings and lord of lords. Amen? Amen. Okay, so here's some details. This is fascinating. The Battle of Armageddon is more correctly a campaign. 
The three-and-a-half-year world war designed to eradicate Israel from the globe, so we've talked about that. The main arena, of course, is planet Earth. The Valley of Armageddon will be the culmination uh, named after the, the city of Megiddo, and it's called the Valley of Jezreel and the Valley of Jehoshaphat. It's located northwest of Jerusalem. It's about 10 miles wide, 20 miles long. There's a monsoon, and I believe this is a principle of Bible study. A monsoon, a rainstorm, precedes the battle. It talks about coming with the flood in those, in those references, and some people are like, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of hyperbole. It's, a, it's not really a flood. I think we take the Bible literally until we cannot, and I, and I do believe that there will most likely be a flood, like the Bible uh, indicates, but I could be wrong. Jesus Christ comes in a flaming fire to devour his enemies, and Christ stomps on his enemies like grapes in a wine press, and we know that the blood will run bridal deep. When John the Baptist said he was not worthy to unloose the shoe of Jesus Christ, he wasn't kidding because that's the shoe that's going to stomp out his enemies. And so uh, it, was a rever- uh, it was a reference to uh, God's enemies in John 1.27. So some of the enemies of God in Israel were killed uh, by a head wound in the Old Testament. Goliath, Sisera, Abimelech, right? Those are all types of the Antichrist. So the Antichrist uh, will be taken and killed with a head wound, and uh, he'll be done. Uh, and so the final battle will be over before it really even real, uh, even realizes well, before anyone even realizes it began. So the second coming of Jesus Christ, it is called the day of the Lord, and or that day. And throughout the Bible, the entire process or actual literal second coming of Christ will occur within a 24-hour period. And so um, and so when it speaks about places like an hour, uh, the day and the hour of His coming will occur so suddenly that no one will be prepared or able to resist it. I mean, he's going to make hay. Now also, so it's a literal 24-hour day when Jesus returns. There's this campaign going on, but when Jesus returns, it's over within a day. Now also, though, that begins the day. So it is the day of the Lord, right? So the day of the Lord begins, and it's a 24-hour day. He comes back, and he seizes control. He's had the title to the earth and heaven. Now he comes back. He establishes himself as king on earth. Now begins the day of the Lord. The day with the Lord is a thousand years, it's a thousand years is one day. We go back to Hebrews chapter 4 and we realize Israel is now going under their rest. Well, I thought that was our rest. Now our rest is Jesus. <laughs> yeah, we got a better rest even. So um, that's amazing. So the thousand year reign begins and we rule and reign with Christ. That's tomorrow's topic. So point five, the destruction of Babylon the Great, Revelation chapter 18. Some, some people um, think this, uh, only, uh, some people only understand brute force, so he's going to give them some. Um, and so this is, I believe, political Babylon, and um, and so the, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, but anyway, there's a controversy over that. Some would say it's ecclesiastical, some would say it's commercial. In verse 18, I would I would lean that way. But the doom is proclaimed, and is all that in your notes? Okay, I'm going to just let just quickly. You can read that on your own, um, and so for time's sake, because I'm about out of time, got seven minutes here. Um, the destruction's rapid. Um, it's going to be in completely um, annihilated. The kingdom is going to be destroyed. And then in verse 20, rejoice. God commands it, right? Rejoice, uh, rejoice not when thine enemy falleth. However, this is a time, as Proverbs 24, 17 says, this is a time when God's wrath is poured out on his enemies, and he commands his people to rejoice over it uh, as it is justice finally served. This is one time. When God says, it's okay, you can rejoice. As a matter of fact, rejoice. So the complete collapse of the world's social uh, structure commences, and uh, 
at the return of Christ, he overthrows everything. Uh, the city of Rome is done. Uh, anything to do with commercial Babylon taken care of, destroyed. Death penalty is pronounced for the blood <coughs> of history. So Rome killed Jesus, with, uh, whose blood is paid for the sins of the world. Rome has opposed God's work and shed the blood of millions of God's people. And so they are done away with. And, uh, and so, point six. The carnage concludes with the supper of the great God, Revelation 14. If you would turn there, because we need to uh, wrap this up. <coughs> Revelation chapter 14 and verse uh, 14. The Bible says here, we were in 14 earlier when we talked about, um, no, we were not. I was in another passage in chapter 12. It says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his, uh, having a, on his head a crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, and, and reap, and the time uh, is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And, and, he, and he that, had, that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and, a, <coughs> and he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and, over, and, he, and cried with a loud cry unto him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the cluster of the, the vine of the earth, uh, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel that thrust in his sickle into the earth gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into a great winepress of the wrath of God. That would be Revelation 19.11. And so uh, the winepress was trodden without the city, and the blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse's bridle, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. So what you have here is, is uh, in verse uh, 15, Jesus is sitting uh, at that at that harvest. That that's that, that I think that's I believe that's tied in. We have it right here at the advent, uh, tied into the the gleanings of Revelation eleven twelve, and um, and so there's a separate harvest of the wine press. It's a separate sickle going in because that is the to to really. Uh, to, th to bring us into Revelation 19 and verse 20, the grapes of wrath. And so the blood of the battle of Armageddon fills the valley to the horse's bridle about five feet for the space of 600 furlongs, and a furlong is about an eighth mile. And again, this is going to be literal, so this would be 200 miles. Now that is a lot of blood. Um, in Ezekiel 39, 8-16, it will require Israel seven months to bury the dead from this battle and clean up. It will take seven years. That's amazing to think about. Uh, I've read that in Ezekiel 39. It's really good to meditate on that because I used to think it was just like this instant thing. But no, there's, it takes time to clean up from the battle. It's going to take time for the earth to even be restored. The earth's going to be decimated, by the way, in there this time. It's, it's, it's almost hard to imagine. Uh, the vultures have the feast fit for the king. Point seven, the judgment of the nations. In Matthew 25, uh, we don't have time to go there, but you should read that. It's a, it's a time, there's a time and a place for the judgment of the nations and the, everything will be put in order. Uh, again, Isaiah 9, 6 will commence the increase of his government. will start to, to uh, go forth. The first event of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ occurring immediately after the battle of Armageddon is to establish Jesus Christ as the king of the world. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And the location is probably the valley of Jehoshaphat, which is actually the valley of Megiddo, which we just talked about. A judgment in that location would remind everyone of, of uh, everyone present of the victory won by the king. So they remember who's in charge throughout that thousand years as well. So 
I want to point this out. Point B, the basis of this judgment is different from all others, right? The Gentiles will be judged for the response to the message of the 144,000. And we know that that message is different, right? Uh, it's, it's th- they're going to have to respond to the Jews. And we talked about the means of salvation already, right? So at this judgment, that's what they're going to be judged for. It's not the judgment seat of Christ. That's long gone. And we're actually there visibly uh, partaking of all this in our, in our glorified bodies. So the faith of the Gentile uh, con- converts, these are Gentiles who did endure to the end and will be saved, will be manifest by their treatment of the messengers, uh, the Antichrist will be trying to eliminate them from the earth and will not even be, they won't even be able to buy or sell because of the mark of the beast. There, was, there are six ways listed uh, to help in the tribulation. So just in case you slide through this and you're not saved and you find yourself in the tribulation, then this is what you need to do. You, take care, you need to minister to those that were hungry, thirsty, strangers, these are Jews, naked, sick, or in prison. All of those are conditions imposed upon them due to the persecution of Antichrist. It's, it's kind of like the story of Anne Frank, right? So the people that took care of Anne Frank, if that was in a tribulation context, after the Nazis took him out and executed him, uh, they would be uh, rewarded in heaven for their care of Anne Frank and her family. Rahab the harlot is an example of that in the Old Testament, right? Rahab has no business living in the Old Testament. She received the grace of God because she... she she gave the, the uh, spies passage and, and covered for them. Yeah, other than that, there was really no, and, and by the way, when you go through the jo- book of Joshua, that happens a few times where God extends grace to Gentiles and actually under normal circumstances, they should have been executed along with everybody else. But because they acknowledged the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they were favorable to God's people, God gave them grace. That's what it's going to be like in the tribulation period. The Jew first and also the Greek, right, and in a different kind of context. So that'll help define some of the other passages in Scripture which are awesome, often misapplied and used to teach work salvation. And so uh, the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, right, 1 through 3, a physical propagation also. Um, I don't have time to get into that. The place of the plan of God, point C, uh, for your blank, uh, there, the place in the plan of God for those who are acquitted. God's promise for the kingdom of Israel will be supplied by the subjects. So God purposes that the earth would be inhabited forever, and Abraham's seed would inherit it and rule. And so this is why some of the some flesh will be saved. Not everybody who goes through the tribulation will perish. There will be some flesh saved, and there will be Gentile kingdoms repopulated. And uh, the destruction of the uh, tribulation is shortened. For that reason, else, even Israel, God's elect, would be, de- would be completely destroyed. And so God, after, the, after he returns, the implication is that God will divide them in 12 nations, the nation of Israel, and then they will rule and reign on this earth. And I'm going to pause right there, and tomorrow I will pick up the millennium. After our break, Greg will come up and talk to us a little bit more about the revealing of the wicked and what that's all about as, as everything comes to ground zero. So uh, let's go ahead and, uh, and uh, let's just have a brief word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. I pray, Lord, in this voluminous amount of information that somehow you can sort it out in our hearts and our minds. And for each of us, give us what we really need, uh, Lord, and ultimately give us all a, a greater desire as we understand not only the revelation of Jesus Christ, but also now you're revealing to us really the depths and the depravity of Satan and his designs for this world. We'll hear more about that in a little bit. Lord, help that move us to get the gospel where it needs to go on time. We ask this in Jesus' name.